Our first scripture reading comes from the prophet Isaiah. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings, lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. God in prayer. O oh God, in this sacred and holy season, surround us with your grace and love and joy. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Welcome to Knox on this first Sunday of Advent. Advent's a magical time of year in church. We arrive on Sundays to see last week's decorating completed, the greens and lights and ribbons are hung, and we begin worship knowing that soon we will get to sing our favorite Christmas carol. A family we may know lights the candles on the wreath. The reader opens the Bible to the book of Isaiah, and we are surrounded by news of hope that the Savior of the world is on the way. Those of us who are being honest know that there is another thought lurking in the background, in the midst of that promise 
of hope and salvation. Next year, on the first Sunday of Advent, we will come again, and things will be very much the same. The world will still be broken, and salvation will remain incomplete. This year, the world news is mostly of Israel and Palestine. Last Advent, it was all about Ukraine. Locally, every Christmas season brings with it the return of drives for food and coats and gifts, because children and families are still hungry and cold and struggling with poverty. And year after year, we come and proclaim that salvation is near. Why do we do this? Wholeness is a popular idea. You can find it anywhere. Wholeness is the foundational principle of so much advertising, every self-help strategy, and plenty of church messages. The idea of wholeness is that there is something wrong with you, and there is a way to fix it. There is some product you can buy, some book you can read, some class you can attend, some life skill you can adopt that will make you the way you are supposed to be. You can be whole. That is the idea. Advent is about something else. Something much different than the illusion of wholeness. Advent is about hope. Hope arises out of the hard truth of how things are. Theologian Craig Barnes writes that committed Christians will always live carrying in one hand the promises of how it will be, and in the other hand the hard reality of how it is. And to deny either is to hold only half the truth of the gospel. So here we are, the first Sunday of Advent, to build up and encourage one another as we seek to live in hope. Living in this tension can make us a little crazy. We know we are broken, mixed up, and in a cruel world, but it's a beautiful world as well. And so we, as followers of the long-expected Jesus, are called to be people of hope. We come back each year because in this world that can threaten to undo us with despair, someone must insist that salvation is on the way and it might as well be us. This morning's scripture lessons share ancient wisdom about the struggle to hope. The first reading came from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a book full of real-world problems. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah come from a time when the Israelites were under siege from the invading Assyrians. By chapters 40 through 55, the Assyrians have given way to the Babylonians, who become the next threatening outside force. 
they conquer Jerusalem and send the Israelites into exile. Life and survival itself was unsure, and many would have thought the future was grim. Throughout this time, the role of prophets, like Isaiah, was to encourage people to hold fast to their faith in God and hope for the future. So the people are feeling low. But Isaiah is the faithful voice that seeks to lift them up. Do not despair, he says. Get you up to a high mountain and lift up your voice as a herald of good tidings. Isaiah offers a vision of the Savior's way of ruling the earth. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Prophets are still around in the modern world, and they still have the task of proclaiming hope in the face of hopelessness. Any preacher will tell you that on some Sundays it's hard to get up here and talk about hope, but it's the real pros who have shown the rest of us what hope really looks like. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King stood on the Lincoln Memorial and preached about a dream, a dream that is still unrealized today. His words were beautiful and even more incredible when you consider the context out of which he spoke them. King had experienced firsthand some of the worst brutality the world has to offer from beatings at the hands of overt white supremacists and law enforcement officials, to hypocrisy not only brought by politicians, but by comfortable white pastors who look like me, who said they were on his side and then betrayed him. King's family was threatened and his home was bombed, and in the end, they would kill him for his words. And what did he say? You know it. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. You know, I'm sure, how the speech continues. At one point, he quotes the very same chapter of Isaiah we read from this morning. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Words of hope. Words of advent. Words spoken in the midst of a real world. Dr. King preached about the future of his children because he understood the need for hope in the real world. The last sermon King ever preached was based on the story of Moses and how on the day of Moses' death, he stood on a mountaintop and looked over and saw the promised land he had been seeking his entire life and he did not get the chance 
to go in. These are not stories of wholeness. These are stories of hope. Another vision of hope is found in today's New Testament story. Zechariah was an uncle to Jesus, a priest in the temple, a man of God, and Zechariah had lost hope. Now, before I tell you his story, I want to be quick to remind you that the Bible is not a good resource for everything all the time. And when it comes to modern-day struggles with fertility, this is not the story to which I would point you. But in ancient times, the birth of a child to parents who had not been able to conceive, well, that's a frequent metaphor for new life and hope. And that is the guiding metaphor of this story. So in the story of Zechariah, the priest and his wife Elizabeth have been unable to conceive. God sends an angel to them in their old age, offering a promise of a child and a hope for the future. But Zechariah does not believe it. And because of his lack of faith and his loss of hope, he also loses his ability to speak. And that is when God delivers. In the days while Zechariah is unable to speak, God keeps the promise. Elizabeth conceives, a child is born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. The boy will grow up to be John the Baptist. And his ministry will be to announce the coming of Jesus Christ. And when Zechariah is finally humbled to his core by the knowledge that God has done exactly what God promised to do, that is when Zechariah's voice is restored. And he joyfully declares the good news of God in much the same way Isaiah had done. Zechariah speaks beautiful, poetic words to his newborn son, John. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light on those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet into the way of peace. This is what Jesus came to do, and what John the Baptist was born to announce. And yet, this is a real-world story. For John the Baptist would end his ministry beheaded by Herod, and Jesus was crucified by Rome. So it's clear that these stories are not about wholeness. These are stories about hope. And hope is the stuff of life lived in the real world, where many things are still broken.
as we hope together for the birth of Jesus about a month from now, today we come to this table. And we take together the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night before he died. I wonder if you've ever thought about the Lord's Supper this way. When Jesus stands before them and he declares, this is my body, it's broken for you, he's making a statement that is not about wholeness, but about hope. Hope for a broken world. He is giving all that he can, his whole self, in hope for the future of a world. It is a world in which much is not as it should be, and Jesus gives himself anyway. Not because he's naive, but because he knows that this world has always been a world in need of hope. There's always a hunger for good news when times are tough. Ted Lasso, one of my favorite shows, premiered in the summer of 2020. Do you remember the summer of 2020? The pandemic was months old with no vaccine in sight and things were about as dark as most of us can remember. And while we were locked down more than any other show, people began to watch this silly comedy drama about a soccer coach who knew nothing about soccer and a lot about hope. Through his own wonderful candor and vulnerability and brokenness, Ted Lasso gave people a little hope for themselves. Author David Brooks, who also loves the show, notes that at one point in the series, Ted describes his goals as a soccer coach. He could mention the championships he hopes to win or some other conventional metric of success. But instead he says this, for me, success is not about the wins and the losses. It's about helping these yelling fellas become the best version of themselves on and off the field. Friends, Advent, and hope for that matter, Advent is not about conventional measures of success. It is not about whether or not the world will be saved between now and next year's first Sunday of Advent. It is not about whether or not we can solve all the problems out there. Advent is not about our church being successful in that way, whether our giving our, or our worship will go up this year. And it's not about you being whole. It's not about you arriving on Christmas Eve with the perfect holiday prepared and your, per your personal problems all fixed and your prayer life at its best. No, Advent is about hope in a broken world and the need for all of us to speak the good news to one another and to everyone we meet. To do the best we can each day to speak hope into a world where hope is so needed Advent means that in spite of all the reasons to doubt, we will keep saying those old hopeful words. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring salvation to the world, for we need it now.
Feed your flock like a shepherd. Gather us, your lambs, into the arms of your mercy. Give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Guide our feet into the way of peace. In the shadow of death, guide our feet into the way of peace.